Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations, a program on Carmelite spirituality here on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. Francis and I are um, very excited to be back in studio this week, continuing a conversation that we began last week on the extraordinary Jubilee Year of Mercy, and specifically Pope Francis's book entitled The Name of God is Mercy. Francis, great to see you again today. How are you? I'm great. I'm Glad to see you, Mark. I'm always looking forward to our conversations and um, always inspired and enlightened and encouraged and um, challenged. <laughs> well, Francis and I are in particularly good moods today because the weather outside is a two-day run of almost 70 degrees today. Well, thank you, we God. That's beautiful. 72 yesterday. <laughs> the gift. sun is shining. What is that big, bright ball? The, <laughs> right. We haven't seen sky. it in a while. <laughs> well, it's uh, uh, very uh, encouraging, and uh, this is uh, thankfully a very encouraging topic although we talk about mercy uh, as a consequence. It is God's mercy towards us because of our sinfulness. Uh, but we know that in that message, there is also healing both for us individually and for humanity. And that's the theme that the Holy Father is trying to communicate through this Jubilee year, as well as through this text, which we shared last week, is really is, uh, an interview that he granted with a journalist uh, responding to a series of questions about his message on mercy. Again, the title of the book is The Name of God is Mercy, and the Holy Father is revealing, uh, certainly for Francis and I, some uh, very deep and profound theological reflections on God's great mercy towards us. But uh, before we get back into that conversation, I'm going to ask, as we do each week, Francis, would you lead us in prayer, please? Happily. And I picked this Divine Mercy prayer um, that was given to St. Faustina um, in this um special moment. Let us pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O greatly merciful God, infinite goodness, today all mankind calls out from the abyss of its misery to your mercy, to your compassion, O God. And it is with its mighty voice of misery that it cries out, Gracious God, do not reject the prayer of this earth's exiles. O Lord, goodness beyond our understanding, who are acquainted with our misery through and through, and know that by our own power we cannot ascend to you, we implore you. Anticipate us with your grace, and keep on increasing your mercy in us, that we may faithfully do your holy will all through our life and at death's hour. Let the omnipotence of your mercy shield us from the darts of our salvation's enemies, that we may with confidence, as your children, await your final coming, that day known to you alone. And we expect to obtain everything promised us by Jesus in spite of all our wretchedness. For Jesus is our hope. Through his merciful heart, as through an open gate, we pass through to heaven. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you, Francis. Um, we want to just quickly recover some ground. Now, of course, you can go back and listen to the first in the series of this, these conversations on uh, God's great mercy. Which was March 7th. Right. Uh, but we <laughs> we just want to quickly cover the scripture verses. It was Francis's recommendation, and I completely agree that for those of you who may have the opportunity, uh, if you're listening to this um, um, in the tape version, to go and grab your Bible, it's good to be able to follow along. So 
Um, we offered three scripture verses beyond what the Holy Father himself in this text, which we also cover. Um, not surprisingly, when you're talking about mercy, uh, those two readings are the tax collector and the Pharisee uh, before the altar and um, uh, the need for humility in the midst of our uh, reconciliation with God, and the woman who's caught in adultery, and, and of course Christ uh, defends her. We'll reread that scripture verse today, and we'll uh, cover some ground on it. Um, but it's interesting, if you look in scripture, there are three instances where God either commissions somebody to write specifically what he, God, wants written down, or where he uses a spiritual intermedium, uh, or uh, intermediary, I guess, or where, in uh, the case of the woman caught in adultery, God, Jesus, kneels down and writes himself. And so those are the three scripture verses. The first, of course, being Moses and the um, drafting of the Ten Commandments into the stone tablets. That's from Exodus thirty-four twenty-eight. In fairness, it's also in Deuteronomy, but I don't have the reference. Um, and the importance of that particular scripture verse is that it helps us understand that the law of God, uh, of God is written into every human heart. That actually is um, uh, made clear to us in Romans two fourteen through 15. The law of God is written into our hearts through our consciences, uh, which we can either listen to or fail to listen to. And when we fail to listen, when we fail to respond to God's call, it demonstrates that our hearts are stone, the very stone, in fact, that Moses wrote the Ten Commandments into. And God knew that we were a people with uh, stone hearts and that there would be more work to be done in the economy of salvation uh, to bring about our salvation. The second reading that we use actually comes from the book of Daniel. Daniel able to reconcile with God. Uh, Balthazar um, has not done that, and so... Uh, there's a direct intervention in the writing of these words, the third of which, Tekel, says, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And we know that all of us have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Scripture tells us that. Uh, we also know, unfortunately, that we are not able to discern, in many instances, our own error. We are not able to see the darkness that is hidden within our own hearts. Um, and the reference, by the way, for... Uh, knowing that we have all fallen short, is Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We need to work our way back through that. Um, and the Psalms remind us that we are not able to discern our condition before God. The third reading, of course, that we've already mentioned is the woman caught in adultery. And we're not going to elaborate too much as an introduction because we'll be using that reading as we have... Uh, our, our conversation, but it is important to note here that this is the instance in Scripture where Christ uh, stooped down and began to write, uh, uh, the Bible tells us, in the dust of the ground. And where we concluded last week, so we uh, are now caught up, is the point at which uh, Christ had, um, in fact, um, begun to write in the ground, and there is no reference specifically as to what he actually wrote. There has been a lot of theological reflection. We offered a more poetic reflection. Uh, Francis suggested that he may well have written the word tekel, tekel mm -hmm. um, which we just described as acknowledging that we all fall short of the glory of God. First word. The first, first word. time, because he's... Right. he's Stooped down twice and wrote. 
So we're just pondering. On, yeah. You and, know. <laughs> and the second time we're gonna we're gonna speculate poetically here that we um, may have found Christ writing the word mercy. Of course, he wouldn't have written mercy; would have written it in Aramaic. But um, the word mercy. And the reason we draw that conclusion um, are two. One, we are reminded from Scripture that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. It seems conceivable that if God wrote the Ten Commandments in stone tablets, which are analogous to our stone hearts, that that the Lord Jesus might write the word mercy into the dust of our very being. That's the first reason. The second is, and the Holy Father reminds us of this, Doctrine, he says, is not subject to theological reflection. It isn't the uh, concept of of dialogue that uh, results in the definition of mercy. Mercy is actually doctrine. It is a doctrinal teaching of the church, and the Holy Father is reminding us through this entire year and through this book that we ourselves must become a people of mercy. And it was John Paul II who said mercy is the greatest of the attributes and perfections of God. And when you take that word mercy, it comes from the Latin misericordia, miserere, which is pity or misery, and cor, which means heart. So when we ask for God's mercy, we are essentially asking him to relieve us of a heart in misery, and that misery could be our sin, um, hurt, pain, brokenness, illness, abandonment. I mean, all kinds of afflictions here. Yeah, it's very important to to realize, you know, as we talk about this, Francis, um, the woundedness of humanity, which the Holy Father brings out at least half a dozen times in this right. book. He uses that phrase. Humanity is wounded, and he used the word woundedness of humanity. We must realize our woundedness, um, and it should be consoling on some level, isn't just our sinfulness. That That is absolutely true. We are all... Uh, subject to concupiscence. It is the condition into which we were born as a result of the fall. And we make mistakes. Every human person makes mistakes. We all fall short, as we said, of the glory of God. But we are also wounded by the things that happen to us. And that leaves not just the scar of the uh, trauma of that experience, but it diminishes our capacity for love. And if that is not healed, we will always be limping, if you will, spiritually through life uh, with that wound. And so the Holy Father is saying, we need to be healed. But if we're going to be healed, then we've got to look in the deep, dark recesses of our heart, avail ourselves of the Holy Spirit, and allow him to heal us in our deepest center, even in ways that we might not know. St. John of the Cross would say this, that, in the end, part of the experience of the dark night that we feel blinded and, and unaware of what's happening is because there are things about ourselves that we both do not know, and perhaps the Lord would rather we not know, but he's going to heal it anyway. And so that's an important uh, part of this doctrine of mercy. So we want to pick up on the Holy Father's own uh, definition of how it is that the Lord forgives us. He uses a great phrase here, Francis. And I love this. He says, God forgives not with a decree, but with a caress. And I think that um, that reminds me of the gentleness and meekness of the Blessed Mother and, and her wanting all of her children to be cleaned up so that we may be presented before the Lord, um, whole and pure. Um, so, and we were talking about forgiveness and and 
uh, Mark, you were saying before we got on the air uh, how that forgiveness not affects us individually, but us as a whole. You want to go into that yeah, a little bit? Yeah, um, the, the, the Holy Father's very next line, in fact, says, Jesus, too, goes beyond the law of forgiveness by caressing the wounds of our sins, and he has also elaborated to this woundedness. And we need to recognize when we are offended, when we're hurt, uh, we were uh, perhaps uh, wounded as a child or maybe as an adult. Somebody left us. Uh, someone has uh, injured us psychologically or or uh, diminished us in some way. There's a woundedness that, that results from that. And in healing that woundedness, we not only become whole persons, but through the, the, the mercy of God, that healingness extends beyond ourselves to the very person who may have brought about that wound in our heart and diminished our capacity for love. I know this is difficult to understand. The, the Holy Father acknowledged that, and we talked about it last week. This is not just the mercy that we so often think of as, oh, it's social justice, so let's all go out and, and do good for other people. That's important, but he says it's a very limited perspective on mercy. Mercy heals. It heals us individually, and it can bring about the healing of humanity. It's difficult to understand how when we experience a wound as a result of the um, you know, assault or, or abuse of another human being, that our being healed of that can actually redound to that person and bring about a healing. But that's what God's mercy is capable of doing. And that's why we have to work to heal our woundedness. The story, as I said, that we're going to use to um, bring this out is the story of the uh, woman caught in adultery. We're all familiar with it. The Pharisees want to stone her. Um, the Lord comes to her defense, obviously. You know the story. We're going to read a part of it. But the, the Holy Father uses this in a very powerful way uh, to draw out the teaching that he wants to communicate on mercy. And I'm going to ask Francis, I know it's a lengthy section, uh, these two pages or so, if you wouldn't mind reading that whole section for us. It's a compilation of okay. both the Holy Father's uh, own words as well as the interviewer interspersing for him. Well, as I read this long quote, Mark, you might want to jump in and make a little accent mark here and there. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to take a breath. <laughs> okay, here's the quote. Um, and this is from Pope Francis. Today's Bible readings, the Pope exclaimed, explained, speak to us of adultery, which together with blasphemy and idolatry was considered a grave sin under the law of Moses and punishable with the penalty of death by stoning. In the excerpt from the eighth chapter of John, the Pope pointed out, we meet Jesus who was sitting there surrounded by people in the role of the catechist teaching. Then the scribes and Pharisees came to him with a woman perhaps with her hands tied, we might imagine. Then they brought her to the middle and accused her. Here is an adulteress. Theirs is a public accusation. The gospel says that they asked Jesus a question. What should we do with this woman? You talk to us of goodness, but Moses told us that we must kill her. They said this, Francis observed, to put him to the tests so that they could accuse him of something. In fact, if Jesus had said to them, go ahead with the stoning, they could then have said to the people, you say your master is so good, but look what he has done to this poor woman. If instead Jesus had said, no, the poor woman, we need to forgive her, they could have accused him of not enforcing the law. Their only objective, Francis continued, was to test him. Pope Francis, that is. Yes. <laughs> right. 
(laughs) (laughs) was to test him to lay a trap for Jesus. They didn't care about the woman. They didn't care about adultery. On the contrary, maybe even some were themselves adulterers. And so Jesus, who wanted to be alone with the woman and speak to her heart, answered, Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then they went away one by one after hearing those words. The gospel, with a certain amount of irony, says that they went away one by one, starting with the eldest. Clearly, they owed a lot of money to the heavenly bank. (laughs) Then came the moment of Jesus' confessor. He is left alone with the woman who was placed in the midst. Meanwhile, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Some commentators say that Jesus was writing out the sins of those scribes and Pharisees, but maybe that is just imagination. Then he stood up and looked at the woman who was full of shame and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? We are alone, you and I. You are before God. With no accusations, no gossip, you and God. The woman... Francis went on to note in his homily, did not claim to be a victim of false accusations. She did not defend herself by saying, I didn't commit adultery. No, she acknowledged her sin and answered Jesus by saying, No one condemned me, Lord. And so Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. From now on, do not sin anymore. Yeah, let's stop there, because I think that's an important point. Three things. One, she stands before God in reconciliation. We know the priest acts persona Christi. We need to realize we're standing before God when we are in that confessional booth. Secondly, she does not fail to acknowledge her sin. Right, she that's doesn't important. say, hey, but for this, and you know, I had these pressures, and oh, my husband wasn't a good person, or I need the money. She doesn't do that. She acknowledges her sin. And finally, we need to take the Lord's counsel here. I don't condemn you, but he then goes on, go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. That's a very important part of our confession that we need to realize. Now, Pope Francis actually is going to speak to um, those repeat offenders, if you will, because they come in two versions. Mm-hmm. But let me let me ask you to continue there. So we have uh, then the the recognition of sin, the repentance of sin, and then the forgiveness of sin. And then he tells her to go forward and sin no more. All right, that's important. So therefore, Francis concluded, Jesus forgives, but here there is something more than forgiveness. Because as confessor, Jesus goes beyond the law. In fact, the law stated that she must be punished. What's more, Jesus was pure and could have himself cast the first stone. But Christ goes further than that. He does not say adultery is not a sin, but he does not condemn her with a law. This is the mystery of the mercy of Jesus. To show mercy, Jesus goes beyond the law that demanded stoning. And so he tells the woman to go in peace. Yeah, so now the Holy Father has given us this very comprehensive picture of Christ himself working as confessor. That's very important for us to understand. Francis reiterated it, acknowledgement of our sins, standing before God, um, asking for that forgiveness, and then the act that, come, that, that occurs afterward, we must cease to, to uh, participate in that activity. 
Pope Francis is then asked later in the interview, actually, and this is a very important question, and his answer is very important as well. What brings the woman to this situation? More to the point, what brings the sinner to this condition? Not the condition where we just sort of repetitively go to confession and, and look to get resolution of our sin, but really, what brings about mercy? Here's the question from the interviewer. What do you need in order to obtain mercy? Is it necessary to have a certain predisposition? Here's the Holy Father's answer, which is really quite startling. The first thing that comes to mind, he says, is the phrase, I cannot take it anymore. That's the Holy Father's response. Yeah, you he hit bottom. <laughs> you hit bottom. You I just can't <laughs> live with it anymore. You genuinely feel now your own woundedness. Sin is no longer just, you know, an um, sort of... Um, uh, um, unfortunate pleasure that you engage in every now and then, or or you might even feel remorse if you lose your temper or something. It isn't that anymore. Now you're at a point where you say, I can literally not take this anymore. And the Holy Father goes on. You reach a point when you need to be understood, to be healed, to be made whole, to be forgiven. You need to get up again to be able to resume your path. As the psalm says, and this is a very important psalm, and I encourage our listeners to read uh, this psalm, which I'll cite in a moment, uh, at least once a week, if not once a day. It's Psalm 51. You can read the whole psalm, but this is verse 19. My sacrifice, O God, is a contrite spirit, a contrite, humbled heart, O God, you will not spurn. That is a verse that we hear all throughout the Lenten season, and it is critical for us to reach that point if we want the gift of mercy. Again, we described last week, God has justice, and if we seek his justice, we will find his justice. It's not the most pleasant experience. He has forgiveness. He can legally simply forgive us for our sins, and we'll be right with the law. But if we want healing, if we want to overcome not just the sin itself, but what causes the sin within us, we have to go deeper to a, a broken, contrite, and humbled heart. St. Augustine wrote, and this is a, the Holy Father quoting him, Search within your heart for what is pleasing to God. Your heart must be crushed. Are you afraid that it might perish? From the mouth of the psalmist comes this reply. A clean heart create in me, O God. A pure, the impure heart must be destroyed, the Holy Father says, so that the pure one may be created. We should be displeased with ourselves, Pope Francis says, when we commit sin, for sin is displeasing to God. Sinful though we are, let us at least be like God in this, that we are displeased at what displeases him. The church fathers teach us that a shattered heart is the most pleasing gift to God. It is the sign that we are conscious of our sins, of the evil we've done, and of our wretchedness, and of our need for both forgiveness and mercy. So what a grace it is to feel the the um, contrite heart within so that we may repent fully. And, you know, that leads to um, another pope who uh, spoke on that uh, with the same kind of sentiment. It was Paul VI. Um, he said, For me, it has always been a great mystery of God to be in wretchedness. And to be in the presence of the mercy of God, I am nothing. I am wretched. 
God the Father loves me. He wants to save me. He wants to remove me from the wretchedness in which I find myself. But I am incapable of doing it myself. That reminds me of Therese, the little flower. And so he sends his son, a son who brings the mercy of God translated into an act of love toward me. But you need a special grace for this. Guess what grace that is? (laughs) It's the grace of conversion. Once I recognize this, God works in me through his son. Yeah, it's important to notice, Francis, that in both cases, these writings and reflections from uh, two popes, the current and a former one, are not projecting this onto, uh, you know, humanity at large or an individual person or somebody who may be in a bad way. They're saying that this relates to them personally. They're making themselves the center of the story. We recall from last week where... Pope Francis referenced Ezekiel chapter 16 and said, I see my life in the context of Ezekiel chapter 16. I'll encourage our readers to go back and listen to that. And here, Pope Paul VI is saying, I am overwhelmed by the mystery uh, of God's mercy in the midst of my wretchedness. Uh, So they are putting themselves front and center as they help to teach us about God's great gift of mercy. Well, we are at a point where we need to take a break. So a... um, break we will have now and we will return a reminder you're listening to carmelite conversations a program on carmelite spirituality on radio maria christian voice in your home we'll be right back
eternity Weep no more, sing for joy, abide with me Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a program on Carmelite spirituality. We are continuing our conversation on the Jubilee Year of Mercy that Pope Francis has called for, and we're working through uh, a book that he um, uh, commissioned. Essentially, it's an interview with him in response to a series of questions. The name of the book is The Name of God is Mercy. And we had concluded our conversation uh, with regard to uh, both Pope Francis and Pope Paul VI reflecting on their own experience of God's mercy and the need for us to seek God's mercy as a way to lead to healing. And their ability to see within themselves their own wretchedness before the Lord, which reminds me of St. Teresa of Avila, who says, you know God and know you who are before God, and St. Catherine of Siena, um, uh I am who am and you are who are not. <laughs> so, but it's important for us to understand um, our wretchedness so that we can be healed. Right. Pope Francis uh, goes on in this particular section of the text to begin to elaborate his affinity to those, and um, he's worked in many cases with those who are in prison. Um, and it's interesting the correlation here between. Uh, a, a man who has really dedicated his life uh, to finding the disenfranchised and the lost and those who live in this wretchedness. In the peripheries. Uh, yeah. For him, there is no better example of that, uh, or perhaps not a better example of it, than those who uh, are um, bound in prison for whatever reason. And, and we don't want to reflect on the... Um, uh, penal system, either in his own country or ours, but um, it, it suffice to say that those who are uh, held in prison, in many cases for a lifetime, um, do live on difficult straits, and the Holy Father uh, has an important uh, attachment to these people. In fact, he says himself, um, quoting him, I have a special relationship with people in prisons, deprived of their freedom as they are. I have always been very attracted to them, precisely because of my awareness of being a sinner. Again, he brings it back to himself. And I think we might conclude here, Francis, that his own uh, perspective would be, there but for the grace of God go oh, I. Yes. I've been given a mission, and that person uh, who I now visit in, in um, the the uh, prison situation, um, likewise, is a, a person in need of God's mercy. And I said, it's understandable, somebody who spent their life freeing um, uh, lost souls from the prison of their sin would have this affinity um, towards those who are in prison. In fact, I want to make a quick note of an individual relationship that Francis and I had established some time ago and has continued. Um, a friend of ours in Texas, um, who uh, I've had a continuous uh, dialogue with, both in writing and on occasion in phone conversations. And it's interesting that that individual's perspective, and he is a, uh, an individual who will spend the balance of his life in prison, his perspective is, this is what it took for me to understand my own brokenness and woundedness and brought about the gift of God's mercy in my life. And I was really struck by that. It was in a, a conversation we were having, and I confess I was very um, impressed 
with the holiness of that person. I, I struggled to be at that uh, level of, uh, of insight that I could see myself in those circumstances and see nothing but God's mercy as a result of it. I think that's very important. Well, I have to jump in and, and throw in a, a passage that Pope Francis wrote uh, that reflects that sentiment exactly. He said, he ought to reflect on the truth of his life, of what he feels and what he thinks before God. He ought to be able to look earnestly at himself and his sin. He ought to feel like a sinner so that he can be amazed by God. <laughs> In order to be filled with the gift of his infinite mercy, we need to recognize our need, our emptiness, and our wretchedness. So when you were talking about our friend in Texas who did recognize it the grace was given to him and he did see that then that gift of awe this being amazed by god uh through this gift of mercy uh just renews his all all the fibers of his being you know you know pope francis goes on in in the next section continuing in this same theme uh, to explain the importance of our knowing how to examine our consciences. In fact, Francis, you and I are both in receipt of the, the document that was recently published, uh, some 65, 68 pages, I think, uh, on um, the, the uh, Sacrament of Reconciliation in the context of the, the uh, Jubilee year. And we'll actually be having a conversation about that likely next week, um, not just the Sacrament of Reconciliation, but bringing out the Holy Father's teaching on that. But he emphasizes here in this next section the importance of our ability, uh, as he describes it, to see our own wretchedness. He says, if we do not begin by examining our own wretchedness, if we stay lost and despair that we will never be forgiven, this is where so many people end up, he says, we end up licking our own wounds and they stay open and they never heal. Instead, there is a medicine. There is healing. We only need to take a small step toward God, or at least to express the desire to take it. A tiny opening is enough. All we need to do is take our condition seriously. We need to remember and remind ourselves where we come from, what we are, our nothingness. It is important that we not think of ourselves as self-sufficient. And, you know, I, I have to back up just a second. You know, as, as we think about these sins... Um, Pope Paul I regarded these sins like jewels. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Now, how's the connection going to be there? And so I found the quote just now. He said, Our sin is like a jewel that we present to him, to God, to obtain the consolation of forgiveness. Giving a gift of jewels is a noble thing to do, and it is not a defeat, but a joyous victory to let God win. <laughs> and I just, um, I just remembered that quote. It wasn't something we were going to say, but I, I just no, no, I, I agree. So I think that, and that's the way we need to see it. You know, our wretchedness, which the Holy Father keeps bringing up. If you prefer the word woundedness, that's fine. Um, they are not. Um, you know, the, the, um, they don't have the negative connotations, uh, that are so often attributed to them outside of an understanding of God's mercy. In the context of God's mercy, they are the jewels. They are the very source of our healing. Yeah. In fact, uh, I, I was reading just this morning, it may have been St. Faustina who talked about how that very wretchedness of us, now I say that, I think it was 
Therese, um, you would know this, Francis. But our very brokenness, our very woundedness, is the very basis, and it is the material with which God will heal us. And so we need to see it in that context. And I think that's where the Therese would be thinking about, you know, it's sort of like water. Water goes down to the lowest place, right? On a waterfall, it goes down to the depths. And so when you are little and you're miserable, then that water comes down to the lowest depths to refresh, to, to heal you, to purify you. You know, Pope Francis said, we've said it again and again, this is not easy to understand. In the context of the um, sort of modern mindset, when we talk about things like woundedness and brokenness and wretchedness, so many people um, uh, push back from that. They say, oh, you know, the, the Catholic perspective on that. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear about my wretchedness. But it is in that very understanding of our need for God, if you prefer that phrase, our need for God that we find healing. Absent that, we will be left with only God's forgiveness. And I say only because forgiveness is sufficient for us to achieve salvation. It does not transform us into love. Or worse still, we'll be left with God's justice. And in fairness, I don't think anybody wants to have to live with the scorecard mentality of, well, let me weigh my good deeds against my bad and see how I come out. You know, I want God's mercy. I want not just to be forgiven. I want to be healed because healing it gives me the capacity then to become the very model uh, that, that has been presented to us, Jesus Christ, and that is love. God right. is love, and that's what we're called to be. And I think this is why the little flower rejoiced in uh, yes. someone pointing out her faults to her, because now there was another place where the Lord's mercy could come down and take her wretchedness and heal her, and now through his mercy, that tender caress, lift her up on high. You know, mercy exists, but you can reject it. Absolutely. You, you cannot recognize your wretchedness. You say, well, I'm fine. There's no problem with me. And then, therefore, you miss the blessing. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, this reminds me of the, uh, at Easter on Holy Saturday, we say, oh, happy fault. Um, when Adam sinned, you know, and I often think, oh, geez, what it would have been like if Adam hadn't. And yet, if he hadn't, would we have had Jesus come to save us as he did? And so, would we have the capacity not only to be loved, but to love in return? Right. That's the issue, yes. I think, that's uh, uh, at the heart of this gift of mercy. Well, in, in the context, and again, I mentioned that we'll uh, be having a conversation on this next week, Francis and I will, um, the Holy Father continues, uh, or in fairness, the interviewer continues to press him on the sacrament of reconciliation, and he wants to know this. He says, Holy Father, what do you think of people who always confess the same sins? And the Holy Father responds, well, if you're talking about the penitent who automatically repeats a formula, I would have to say that he was not well prepared. He was not well catechized. He does not know how to self-examine. Again, back to the point that he had raised earlier about our need to examine our conscience and have the capacity uh, to be able to look uh, deep within ourselves and understand our wretchedness. The Holy Father says, those who are just sort of uh, repeating a formula um, and not taking sufficiently uh, serious their faults and their sins were not well catechized. And this is a, a risk, Francis, in fairness, that those of us who've been schooled on the need to get to reconciliation once a month uh, may on occasion fall victim to. It could become repetitive. Or if the, if the sin is continuously the same thing, but we're only going through the sequence of steps, 
we run the risk of not getting to God's mercy, but simply receiving his forgiveness. Right, and here's where St. Teresa of Avila keeps telling us how important self-knowledge is. And so um, Pope Francis goes on with his answer to that question. He says, when there's the kind of repetitiveness that becomes a habit, you cannot grow in the awareness of yourself or of the Lord. It would be like not acknowledging that you have sinned or that you have wounds that need healing. The routine confession is a bit like the example of the dry cleaner. Remember we brought that up last right. week where is oh just remove the stains and 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 forget about, you know, the needing need for healing here and the need to go beyond um your woundedness. So, um he goes on, many people are wounded, not least psychologically and do not even realize that they are. That is what I have to say about people who confess by rote. But it's different now when someone relapses and commits the same sin and suffers because of it, when they have a hard time getting back on their feet. Because, you know, many humble people confess to having falling again and again. So, you know, the most important thing in the life um, of everyone is that they should never fall, uh, um, is that... Not that they should never fall, but they must always get back up. That's the way of the cross. Um, always get back up. Jesus gave us three examples, three times he fell, each time worse than the, the one before. But the important thing is always to get back up, not to stay on the ground like St. Francis, I mean, St. <laughs> Pope Francis said, not to stay on the ground licking your wounds, you know, the pity party here. Yeah, we, we also have to keep in mind, though, in the midst of our effort to find that inadequacy, that wretchedness within us, God's mercy still overcomes all. We shouldn't be fearful when we go into the uh, confession box or, or sit before a, a priest that, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to remember everything. Two points I would raise. First, ask the Holy Spirit and ask your guardian angel, who, by the way, is writing all of that down. So, <laughs> Ask, ask. Uh, he does, though. It's blown away. Yes. You know, yes. God has amnesia. That's After right. he forgives, he doesn't remember any of that. So After he... <laughs> we go to confession, it is. It's all, it's all blown away, like the reference to the dust again. Uh, so ask the Holy Spirit, ask your guardian angel to help you. And Francis and I are going to have a conversation next week about very deliberate, very, I think, well thought out, um, um, sort of questions that we can ask ourselves. Prepare for confession. Don't right. just go to the church and say, Oh, I've got 10 minutes. I guess I'll jump in the line. Take some time to make yourself ready for it. The better you prepare, the the more potent the grace can be, because the the graces I think respond or are in uh, line of how we approach. It's like we can go to communion and just go through the motions, and you know, right? We get an ounce of grace, but if we go with you know this you know deep abiding faith, and we're really focusing on the Lord, on receiving him into our very being in that manner, you know, how potent that would be. And so, you know, it is important how we prepare inside of ourselves. And we always have to remember our, the Lord of mercy always forgives us. It's we who get tired of asking for forgiveness. God always gives us a new day, a possibility of starting over. He wants to lift us up. He, remember the prodigal son, the father, not just waits at the house for the prodigal son to come to the home. He runs out to meet him before he ever reaches home. So, but you know, this is one of the tasks of the church. And this is what Pope Francis says. One of the tasks of the church is to help people perceive that there are no situations that they cannot 
get out of. For as long as we are alive, it is always possible to start over. All we have to do is let Jesus embrace us and forgive us. Yeah, the Holy Father brings this out in an important point in this interview as well. He says, with all this reflection about the idea of mercy, and I would argue that that's certainly partially encouraged by recent discussions at the Synod, um, the one in October and the one the year before that, uh, Pope Francis wants to make it clear that though this is fine to have theological reflection and, and discussion about this topic of mercy, it is not as though it is something esoteric or academic. He said, and we, we quoted him earlier, mercy is real, it is objective, it is doctrine. He says specifically, I will say this, mercy is real. It is the first attribute of God. Theological reflections on the doctrine uh, or on mercy may then follow, but let us not forget that mercy is doctrine. Even so, he says, I love saying mercy is true. And, you know, in response to a question uh, uh, of the role of justice, the Holy Father had also uh, an interesting answer, I thought, when um, pressed on this topic because uh, the uh, interviewer was trying to get uh, a, a deeper understanding of how this mercy uh, that the Holy Father was talking about related to justice. And he said this, Justice on its own is not enough. With mercy and forgiveness, God goes beyond justice. He subsumes it and he exceeds it in a higher event in which we experience love, which is at the root of true justice. What is the Holy Father saying and why is this important? To the point that Francis just raised, we can uh, uh, um, find forgiveness, but if we want to be healed, if we want to go beyond even our own healing, but be part of the healing that is occurring in humanity, in the mystical body of Christ, we cannot just have the balancing of the scales, i.e. justice, or even just forgiveness. We have to be healed so we inc increase our capacity for love. That's exactly what the Holy Father says. In the event that we then experience love, when we experience God's mercy, we increase our capacity to be love itself. And that leads to a healing not only of ourselves, but of humanity in general. And to take that further, you know, why is justice not enough? Why not just balance the scales? Because when we become accustomed to sinning, then we have the risk, a very real risk, of falling into corruption. He's been talking lately about corruption. Corruption, unlike an act of sin, is more of a state of being. And he has this to say um, when the interviewer was asking him about corruption. Pope Francis says, Corruption is not an act but a condition, a personal and social state in which we become accustomed to living. The corrupt man is so closed off and contented in the complacency of his self-sufficiency that he does not allow himself to be called into question by anything or anyone. This is where he used that story, and I won't uh, read through it all, but we'll just talk quickly um, of the man who was a very devout Catholic, attended services, uh, Sunday services. He may have even gone occasionally to a weekday mass. And he went to reconciliation. He went to confession, but he was having an affair with one of his house 
keepers. And uh, this particular gentleman the Pope cited um, was someone who had grown up in a culture where um, the workers who worked within the home, for example, were seen in a um, you know lower class. And so he felt it was perfectly appropriate for uh, him, this, this gentleman who owned the home, he felt it was perfectly appropriate for himself to engage in a sexual uh, uh, encounter with this woman and then yet still go to confession um, and, and uh, uh, continuously just sort of uh, continue his, his Catholic practices. Um, and this is the person, in fact, that the Holy Father said uh, earlier, referenced earlier, had not been well catechized. This is what he means by corruption. Corruption isn't just the obvious corruption, you know, uh, people who are, are, are wreaking havoc on society. He says corruption is that state of being, a condition, where we become accustomed to our life and we are blinded by our own sinfulness. Another example would be like a man who gets his wallet stolen. That's the example he gave us and is angry and is complaining about the safety on the streets, but then he's the very one that cheats the state by evading paying his taxes. So uh, it's like, you know, pointing the finger but never looking at yourself, you know. Thankfully, the Holy Father tells us that the Lord has a way of breaking through that um, blindness. He says, generally, the Lord saves people like this through life's great ordeals, situations that they cannot avoid and which crack open the shell that they gradually build up around themselves thus allowing the grace of God to enter. How many of us have said that, why me, God? Why have you allowed this to happen? And I'm not saying that in all cases uh, that's the Lord breaking through to reveal our sinfulness. In many cases, we know he allows suffering so the greater good can come for it, from it for ourselves or maybe for others. But there are those instances, and certainly it's true when we are in the process of purification uh, where the Lord will allow us to experience some of life's great ordeals, as he says, uh, in order to heal us. And that leads us right back to that Psalm 51, verse 17. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise or spurn. <laughs> we, we must be healed. We've said this before uh, again and again. Confi con confession, forgiveness, remove the sin. That's true. But mercy heals. Sin causes that wound, that woundedness that we talk about. And woundedness must be healed. It can't simply be uh, band-aided over. And yes, humanity is wounded. But at the same time, humanity is also corrupt in many ways. And when we have enough of it, the Holy Father says, we will find ourselves in that state of brokenness and we will desire the healing. And let us remember what St. Augustine said, it's easier for God to hold back anger than mercy. I know that wasn't in our notes, but I wrote that in there because it was very good. So it's easier for God to hold back anger than mercy. So, you know, Pope Francis reminds us there's no sin that can overcome God's mercy because mercy trumps justice. For God's name is mercy. And, you know, of course, this relates to the story of the wedding of Cana and the purification um, of the water, the pots that were used uh, to come in and, and make the wine. You want to re reference that quickly? Yeah, the, the water pots, of course, at the wedding of Cana were the um, uh, pots that were used for uh, ceremonial washings. And, of course, they would have been filled with rather filthy water. It is that very water that Christ chose to change into wine. Uh, clearly demonstrating his power to overcome any of our sinfulness. The last point I want to bring out before we close this conversation uh, is the question that the Holy Father has asked in the difference between mercy and compassion. 
Uh, and he uses this story. He says, when Jesus arrived at the village of Galilee, he was moved by the tears of the widow. This is a widow who had just lost her son, who was devastated by the loss of her son. He says to her, woman, do not weep. As St. Luke writes in the gospel, when the Lord saw her, he was moved with pity for her. God incarnate let himself be moved by human wretchedness, by our need, by our suffering. The Greek verb that indicates this compassion, um, which it derives from the word that indicates internal organs, or the mother's womb. I heard this today in Mass, and I was very taken by it. I remembered it from this text. Um, that our compassion is like the mother's womb, and our mercy extends beyond simply um, feeling um, um, sympathy, but moves to empathy for the sufferer and increases our ability then to, um, to, to, to both grant mercy, but in the case of our relationship with the Father, right. so to receive Mark. mercy. So Mark, how sh- we just got about two minutes left here. So how do we live the extraordinary jubilee of, of mercy? Oh, that's a tough question. Yes. But no, I'm gonna, real quick. <laughs> I, I'm going to give it to you this way. Really, it is practicing, uh, well, I would say first reconciliation. Our um, uh, effort to uh, find within ourselves our own brokenness and woundedness through the uh, dialogue that we have with our uh, guardian angel and with the Holy Spirit. And then practicing, as the Holy Father says, the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Um, I'm not going to read through them. Uh, it's a lengthy list, as you may know. Look them up and, and, and make some effort at practicing uh, the corporal and spiritual works of mercy uh, during this Jubilee year. And, of course, we remember with St. John of the Cross, in the evening of life we will be judged on love alone. And St. Therese of the Little Flower would, we, would say, love is repaid by love alone. So let's become great lovers, all right? So that brings us to the end of our hour. Um want to be a quick Quick, quick uh, uh, program note about note the pilgrimage. Uh, on the pilgrimage uh, to Quebec again in the latter part of September, September 29th, we'll be sitting, uh, seeing all of the great um, uh, religious uh, destinations in the province of Quebec, those in Montreal and Quebec City. And I really encourage you to look on our website and uh, click the link in the top of the page in the middle and uh, find out what it's all about. And if you're interested, uh, go ahead and register. We'd love to have you there with us. All right, I have this closing prayer. It is from St. Faustina, since she's so well-known with the divine mercy. And I think it will cover some of the uh, acts of mercy that uh, you were referencing as far as looking up in Scripture. So let us pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O most holy Trinity, as many times as I breathe, as many times as my heart beats, as many times as my blood pulsates through my body, so many thousands times do I want to glorify your mercy. I want to be completely transformed into your mercy and to be your living reflection, O Lord. May the greatest of all divine attributes, that of your unfathomable mercy, pass through my heart and soul to my neighbor. Help me, O Lord, that my eyes may be merciful, so that I may never suspect or judge from appearances, but look for what is beautiful in my neighbor's souls and come to the rescue. Help me that my ears may be merciful, so that I may give heed to my neighbor's needs and not be indifferent to their pains and moanings. Help me, O Lord, that my tongue may be merciful, so that I should never speak negatively of my neighbor, but have a word of comfort and forgiveness for all. 
Help me, O Lord, that my hands may be merciful and filled with good deeds, so that I may do only good to my neighbors and take upon myself the more difficult and toilsome task. Help me that my feet may be merciful, so that I may hurry to assist my neighbor, overcoming my own fatigue and weariness. My true rest is in the service of my neighbor. Help me, O Lord, that my heart may be merciful, so that I myself may feel all the sufferings of my neighbor. I will refuse my heart to no one. I will be sincere even with those who I know will abuse my kindness. And I will lock myself up in the most merciful heart of Jesus. I will bear my own suffering in silence. May your mercy, O Lord, rest upon me. You yourself command me to exercise the three degrees of mercy. The first, the act of mercy of whatever kind. The second, the word of mercy. If I cannot carry out a work of mercy, I will assist by my words. The third, prayer. If I cannot show mercy by deeds or words, I can always do so by prayer. My prayer reaches out even there where I cannot reach out physically. Oh, my Jesus, transform me into yourself, for you can do all things. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversation, the program on Carmelite Spirituality on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in your home. Until we're with you again, God bless.